Hello and welcome to Uncaged, Meta Fighting's new podcast focusing on the world of mixed martial arts. As the name suggests, this show will take a deep dive into the lives of fighters, looking at the characters behind the men and women we watch every week on TV. And my first guest is Paul Craig, a Scotsman in the UFC's light heavyweight division. He talks about his many jobs he had before becoming a fighter. He was a binman, a postman, he worked in a supermarket. He was a teacher and a football coach, but now he is riding high with big ambitions in the sport. If you're watching the show, please do give the video a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel. If you're listening, please do rate and review. Without further ado, here is UFC light heavyweight, Paul Craig. Paul, thank you very much for your time and for joining me. I'd like to start with a question that's got nothing to do with MMA. As a man from Airdrie, what does it mean to you to be a Scotsman? I love Scotland. Um, I'm very patriotic. I love the opportunity to hear my hometown when Bruce Buffer calls Airdrie or even Coatbridge, Scotland. Uh, I, I love it. That's why I represent my, my family colours with my, my family's crest and my family's tartan. Uh, I do the blue and white face pics. It's iconic around the world as Braveheart. Um, but I, I love the opportunity to represent Scotland and I love this UFC used to put badges on all the kit we used to have, like uh, the old uh, Reebok kit used to have a Scottish octagon on it and a hat with a Scottish octagon. And uh, I used to love it, I, like, just to see the the cross, it, it make, makes me proud. So to be Scottish uh, makes me proud. Everybody around the world loves the Scottish. I don't hear MD. I don't hear MD anywhere we go saying, ah, the Scottish, they're horrible, horrible people. But, Everybody just loves the Scottish and everybody wants to have some sort of relation to Scotland. Like, do you know John McDonald from Scadland? And I actually do know John McDonald from Scotland. So yeah, representing Scotland's my it's it's one of the things that I never thought I'd get to do, but I do. So as a as a young boy uh, growing up, how would you describe yourself? Oh, I was a handful. Um I was not very engaging with school and I don't think it was through the fact that I was dumb or I had, uh, I didn't have the right channel. Nobody could channel the energy I had. Loads of energy, I loved running about, loved playing football, loved playing sport. And the school um, that I went to as a primary school, even, even high school, they used to punish me by taking away the one thing I was good at, which was sport. So the way they would get through to me is if I was misbehaving, then I wasn't allowed to do sport. And that became, using that, I I hated it in school. So what I used to do was, I used to not engage in sport either. So to take away the power that they had over me, I would stop doing sport anyway. And um, it, was neg- it was a negative, it was a negative way for the school to deal with me. Um, but then when I found my way of learning, which I found, didn't find out until I was in my 20s, how to actually learn and how I actually teach or how to actually be taught myself. Um, and then from that, I love learning now. I love always learning, be it MMA, be it some sort of academic, where I'm learning a different sport, where I'm learning different teaching techniques or whatever it is. But I love learning now. But back then, trying to get me to do anything was a nightmare. Um, so a handful, could never ever fight as a kid, was never ever one of these guys that like... Paul Craig, see when he was a youngster, he could fight. You're never ever going to hear that story. You're going to hear Paul Craig when he was a youngster. He could run like the wind. Many a fight was uh, was me just running, running away. Uh, it was the best way to deal with it. Um, but ultimately, it led me down this path of being 
scared of fighting um, and even as an adult when you learn that it's not the end of the world when you get punched in the face because I think that's for a lot of people getting punched is a it's, it's a scary thought what's going to happen to my face is it going to break with that one punch and it turns out your face is very durable and um, once you've experienced getting a few punches then you're able to take it but as you were saying going back to that question if you were to go back and speak to any of my high school primary school teachers they would tell you he was a little beep, 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 beep. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I understand that teachers, and, and I know you've, you have been a teacher and we'll come to that, but if you've got 30 pupils in front of you, you kind of have to treat them all the same. Well, it's easiest to treat them all the same because it's so much effort to, to treat them individually, but everyone is an individual. So yeah. I, I wonder if it would be better for pupils especially ones that maybe don't necessarily learn in the way that we want them to, if there was just something different and there was rather than stick to the curriculum all the time and then punish them, as you say, by taking things away, pupils need to be, need to focus on what they can do well and help them in that direction rather than trying to force them in another direction. Yeah, I definitely see that now, especially being in education, uh, higher education myself and, and looking at it from both point of views and having kids my, myself, there's a lot more for kids now than there was when we were growing up. It was basically sit down, shut up and listen to what I have to say because I'm the teacher and I'm going to stand in front of the board and I'm going to write in chalk and you're going to write it down. That learning doesn't work for me. I'm very, very touchy-feely. I'm very, I need to be doing something. I need to be engaged. I need to be inspired. And I found that in high school. There was a, maybe about a handful of teachers who could actually inspire me. One of them was a geography teacher, um, Mr Murray, I'll never forget him. The way he engaged me, the way he spoke, he was like a stand-up comedian. Wasn't saying anything funny, wasn't any punchline jokes, just the way he came across was very engaging. And that, for geography, it was one of the hires I got, and I loved it. And the same as well, I had an English teacher who inspired me, Mr Hotchkiss, his name was, and same again, I've met, I bet them as, I've met them as an adult, and I've been back in school. Mr Hotchkiss, showed me a way of reading a book and enjoying it rather than reading the book for this the the purpose of getting an outcome. I need to read this book because it's part of the curriculum and I need to get to the end goal. Whereas he showed me how to read the book and enjoy it and look at all the different techniques that the writer's using. And there's there's loads of teachers out there, even when I was at school, but there needs to be more of these people are doing the job for the sake of inspiring the next generation. And it even goes for coaching in MMA. You need to inspire the next generation of athletes. You can't just use what works for Paul Craig or what works for Chris Bungard. You need to find what works for that individual. And we've got a lot of guys in the gym who need different techniques to, to engage them. So my coach, Brian, he'll tell you, even now when I'm learning something new, he'll tell me, like, I've only got like a 20-minute window. If you can't teach me in that 20 minutes, it's out the window. Because see, after that 20 minutes... My head's away, mate. I'm having a bit of carry on. I'm, I'm not engaging the same way I was 20 minutes ago. So we've got a 20-minute window. And if I don't get anything done in that 20 minutes, the critical learning that we need to do for that game plan or whatever it is, then it's out the window. We just give up. The other guys in there who are totally different to me and they can spend hours and hours just drilling, whereas I like to... I enjoy drilling, but I enjoy the competitive side of MMA, be it like sparring or grappling. So they 20 minutes, after they 20 minutes, you need to reward me with getting to grapple with somebody. Whereas there's guys in there who just love to drill and enjoy and get the get the buzz out of just drilling. So it's just trying to find that way. And I think, as I said, teachers are doing a lot better jobs than they were back in their day. 
you mentioned tires, which for for any anybody south of the border would be the A, yep. A levels, but that that means you you did at least five years of school, which is not necessarily common for fighters. I don't want to tar them off the same brush, but often, no. you know, fighters don't find education to be rewarding or they take a different path. But you must have, if not enjoyed school, at least have thought this is something I need to do for a little bit to make sure I've got something at the end of it. Yeah, um, my first incendiary, I was I was off the rails. I was just found school as a way to get to engage with my friends. It was an area, it was a safe, warm space and fully friends. So I didn't see it as a negative, even in first and second year or like starting my higher, going on from the primary school into the secondary school. It wasn't a negative. I didn't, I didn't associate it with any negative uh, thoughts. Or like, oh, I can't bother going to school. I used to be like, I get to go to school, get to hang with my friends, I get to get fed and it's nice and warm. That is a bonus for me rather than being out in the streets, freezing cold, wet, miserable, hated that. When I came to second, uh, sorry, like my third and fourth year in high school, my friendship circles changed and I, could, I, I started thinking about with one of my long-time friends now, his name's Jim, and he opened up my eyes to stuff like Lord of the Rings, he opened up my eyes to like painting Warhammer, like I, I'm not sure if you know what this is, these are wee tiny figures and you paint them and, and this kind of stuff, I, I love this kind of stuff, playing card games, like pretty much like the guys through the big bang theory doing that kind of stuff and I totally changed who I was then and then when it came to like fifth and sixth year when you're starting to decide who you want to be in life do you go off a, do you go off the school train and join the work train and get an apprenticeship or I still didn't know what I wanted to do there and I went from finished high school uh, and sort of a, a host of jobs I was a bin man I was a postman I worked in a supermarket, night shift watchman, you name it, I had a job of doing it. I didn't know what I wanted to do and I was kind of blundering about and trying to find my way in life. And it turns out my way in life was education, I was actually trying to inspire the next generation of people and I'd found that through coaching football. Um, I'd started up my own football team under 19s and spent a lot of time coaching these guys and spending a lot of quality time with them, working with them individually. And then from that, I started then saying, wait, this is something I actually really enjoy. From that, started volunteering as uh, with a charity, an educational charity, who were trying to get people who were disengaging from school more engaging. And that's where my whole teaching career started. And then from that, I had spent seven and a half years teaching higher, higher high school students. And then from that, I then was able, able I had enough time to dedicate to my own sport of MMA and then decided to give up in teaching to pursue my dream as an MMA athlete. And that was one of the things when it came to the point where I was trying to juggle teaching seven days or five days a week with training seven days a week. It was very, very hard and when I had to give up, I was either going to become a teacher who was doing the bare minimum to get by and not doing what I set out the whole inspiring the next generation, giving them a positive role model and helping. I wouldn't have been able to do that if I had tried to juggle both of them. And the same for MMA, if I didn't give my all in MMA, I would have been fighting in the top, maybe British, top European shows, but I wouldn't have been able to go to that next level of the UFC. Um, so one of them had to give and I decided that I can always go back to teaching, but I can't go back to... Um, I can't go back to MMA. I was in my 
uh, late 20s and time was creeping up and I had to go 100% into MMA and that's what led me to the UFC. First year within UFC was very difficult. I was two wins, two losses, but my two losses were the very first time I'd ever lost. And that was very, very detrimental to my mental health and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Because you feel like you've, you've, I felt like I'd failed. I had went through being an unbeaten athlete who came to the UFC, had won his first fight, and then I was I was up here, and then two losses, and I was I was at rock bottom. I was like, am I going to be a fighter the rest of my life? What am I going to do? UFC are going to cut me because they want entertaining fights. They want they want fighters who can actually fight the top level. And I had this doubt where I was like, I'm not good enough to fight this. Started working with a um, sports psychologist helped me massively and I totally changed and now we're what, four years into the UFC four years yesterday was when I had my first fight four years uh, nine fights and three contracts that's my dog Shane uh, three contracts with the UFC I'm potentially going to be signing a new contract in the new year for another four fights so going from as we're saying that kid who was disengaging from school, being a wee painter, all the other people in his class, to then moving on to a teenager who didn't know where he wanted to be, to then joining the world of work and still didn't know where he wanted to be, to then finding his kind of path in life and then changing that path. Because as I said, my path in life was teaching. And even now, I enjoy teaching. But I took a wee detour and led me to MMA. So why do you think, so you mentioned you had a few jobs after school but before teaching. Yeah. Why? Okay, first of all, let's start with those jobs. What was the what was the worst experience? Because I suspect oh, there were some experience. days that maybe weren't great. I used to love being a postman. Postman was a brilliant job. Um, up early, I'm an early riser. I like to work. So I got to. I used to run round my full post run. So I had my post bag, had my letters, and I used to run the full way every single day. I would run, so I was fit. I was very active. Used to jump fences, just scale fences, like. People used to look out, must have been looking out a window at me and being like, this guy's mental. Like, absolutely hammering it down with rain and there's me running about delivering mail. Like, happy. Like, I, it wasn't a bad job. Used to love this summer as well when it was nice and warm. Rain doesn't bother me. Cold doesn't bother me when it's snowing. And I enjoy being outside but because you get to go back inside and feel the benefits. Yeah, I love that. So the weather didn't bother me. So that was a really, really good job. Loved it. And they gave me a post fan. I got to drive about, which was cool. Um, funny story. Well, when I say it's a funny story, I used to do like rural post. So I'd drive about and deliver to like wee farmers who were like in the middle of nowhere. Now, I may or may not have been following the speed limit. And I was potentially going a bit fast down this person's driveway to deliver the post. And their dog may or may not have jumped out in front of me. So I was young. I was probably about 19 at this point, And I had a dilemma. Do I chat the door with their male and their dead dog? <laughs> or do I drive away? I drove away. Yeah, I you it gets even funnier because the woman actually seen me do it so I didn't get up oh, there no. and uh, I had to go and explain myself why I'd kill this dog I ended up getting a warning which wasn't too good I had to go and apologise to this woman who bought a set of flowers and was trying to be nice 
Um, but I was young, I was naive, I didn't understand what I was doing. So that's what I'm putting that down here. But I loved Postman. Bin Man was... It smelled, it was dirty, I always sweated. Wasn't it a great job? And the people you worked with were quite negative in life. They'd done this all their life and they hated life and they were disappointed. And I looked at them and I was like, I don't want to end up with that. I don't want to wake up every Monday morning hating my life. Because these guys did. These guys were so negative with life and everything they ever done. And then that's why I had left that because I didn't want to do that the rest of my life. Um, supermarket, I loved. I was young again when I'd left school. It was one of the first jobs I'd got. Learned a lot of social skills there, how to deal with adults um, and how not to overstep the, the boundaries of being an adolescent and going into a, an adult's world. Uh, learned a lot of lessons there. Worst job, but it's probably MMA. <laughs> uh, it probably is. I have to wake up early in the morning. I have to put my body through the, the, the rigours of training, absolutely destroying my body for 15 minutes are a glory and it's not always glory sometimes you're on the receiving end of getting knocked out in your hometown with your family when your mum and dad are in the crowd and your sister and your brother and your partner and your daughter's watching back home that's horrible like i would i can easily wake up monday 95 and do a horrible job which people would deem as horrible job then to feel what i feel like and getting knocked out in my hometown. That's the worst feeling in my life. So anyway. <laughs> no, it's, it's hard to argue. But you, you mentioned as well uh, football coaching, but was it right you were on the books of hearts at one point? So what had happened was I had played, I'd always played football throughout my school, but I'd done my coaching through hearts and that's where that comes from. Um, they had put me through my, my coaching badges and that's where this, this comes from. Met a lot of nice people through football. Football people are the same everywhere you go. Doesn't matter if you're from Aberdeen or you're from London. All football people are the exact same people. They're, they're great people and they love football and they're diehard. And uh, I, I love my time with football. I, I feel like Scottish football for the last few years has missed, you know, the old firm games. I feel it's missed that. And I feel like this year it's starting to change. I feel like it's becoming more competitive. Uh, and as somebody who grew up in the west of Scotland, football is a massive part of every teenager's life at that point. And uh, I feel like it's, it's a much better circumstance right now, football-wise, and the same with um, than it was going back maybe five, six, seven years ago when uh, Rangers were not there. So I, I enjoy football. I'm not a Rangers fan. I'm not a Celtic fan. I just enjoy football. I don't have time for it. I was, I was going to say, I could ask you if your Rangers are started, but you really should just be Airdrie, right? No, I'm Airdrie. I uh, used to go and watch Airdrie, um, but people are like, no, you need to support either an old firm game, I just uh, either an old firm team. I just enjoy football, um, or I did at that point. It's not that I don't enjoy it now. I just can't dedicate every single weekend to two or three hours of football, potentially even more. I can't do it. Watching what my... What, what team what Scottish team's doing uh, and then watching the scores coming in and then all the stuff that goes along with watching Scottish football or watching English football I can't do it because I don't have the time I do enjoy watching European Cups because I don't have to watch a full season I can just dip in for 
six weeks, watch football and then leave and, and enjoy it. And it takes me back to that time where I used to watch football. Same again, European Cups, World Cups, all this kind of stuff. Uh, I enjoy that, but I wish I had more time to dedicate to actual league football. And then, as we're saying, we're both Scottish and we're Scotland have qualified for the first major tournament, which has been for France 98. Um, I remember in their groups they had Brazil, who absolutely hosed them. Um, so I say this is, quite, this is quite a big momentous occasion for being Scottish. We're going to have Paul Craig, UFC champion, and we're going to have... Scotland European uh, champions, maybe. Absolutely, absolutely. Why not? And uh, we'll have you with the belt. Well, obviously, we'll win the Euros at Wembley. So we'll have you. We'll have you on the pitch there. And you know, I'd love to. I'd love to go and hopefully we get back to um, uh, fans at sporting events. I'd love to see that within the next few few months and then have the opportunity to go and watch Scotland uh, and the Euros I think that'd be amazing I really would enjoy it and as I said I'm very very patriotic anytime I see be it a team a, a team like Scotland or an individual player going to the next level and doing well I love seeing Scottish guys in the English Premiership I love seeing them in Europe I love seeing them them just winning at life it, it makes me proud to be Scottish I think I think we do have a good track record of support to our own and, and obviously I mean I know you've you've mentioned that the fight in Glasgow didn't obviously go to plan but the support was there and I'm sure when, when it happens again and we have fans it will be there again yeah you mentioned that you did some football coaching and that got eventually into teaching what was that was there a one trigger that you thought that's what I want to do or was it just a gradual process it was, it was a gradual process um, because I remember going from teaching a football lesson, you know, where I'm having drills and I'm coming up with something new because the last thing you want to do is constantly be drilling the same thing day in, day out. Because not only that, it's born for myself, but it's, uh, I need to engage guys who are like, it was under 19s football. Um, so they were, they were men, they were basically men. And I was trying to improve them individually as well. Like, right, you're not the most physical person what if you do this? What if you what if you had to start adding this to your programme? What if we had to get you to run more? So that's the kind of stuff I was doing. I was trying to get them not only to improve as a football or drilling, but become more physical or become have a better aerobic capacity or anaerobic capacity, whatever that player was needing. So teaching that to teaching an actual lesson where you've got 50 minutes and in that 50 minutes you have to do a set criteria, be it I need to get in by the end of the day to understand X, Y and Z. It's totally different and the way it has to be written up, that's where I found it really difficult. But I can't remember there being a point where I was like, right, this is the route I want to go down. But I just remember thinking, I don't want to wake up on Monday morning unhappy. I don't want to wait. I don't want to be the guys that I spoke about earlier. I don't want to hate my life and then resent my family. But like, because I had a family at that point. I was nineteen when I had my my first daughter, so I was a very young father. I didn't want to grow up resenting them because I had to work. I just had to find something that made me get up in the morning and be happy, and it was teaching. And I genuinely mean that. It wasn't a day I woke up thinking, oh, I need to, I need to go to this class," and I'm depressed. There was never ever a day that. I loved it. Not no two days were the same. I enjoyed the 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 banter for kids. Like the kids' part is one of the best you're ever going to hear. Like 
the way kids can shut down each other is amazing. Like the, the, they're, they're so, so smart at dealing with, with each other. It's, it's brilliant to watch as a teacher. And there's, there's, there's times where I'm having to bite my lip because something somebody said's been really funny, and I'm like trying to stop myself from laughing. Um, but there wasn't a turning point where I was like, "This is the job I want to do." But I know at that point, of being a football coach, I knew where I wanted to go. I was like, "Right, I don't want to." That was my main goal. Don't wake up on Monday morning hating your life, and don't wake up, don't make it to the weekend to waste your weekend, be it through drinking or like, oh, I need to, I need to go and do something because I've only got two days and I've worked five days. I think that way we've got we've got it totally wrong. We there's a lot of people out there who they only work to live, so they so they work really hard. And it's not to live, it's live to work. They live every day to work. And I don't think that's very, I don't think that's a good way to be. I think you should work so that you've got enough to have a nice life, but don't chase everything you need. Like my neighbor's got a car, so I need to get a better car than him, or my neighbor's got an extension, I need to get an even better extension. Like this whole chasing thing that, that quite a lot of people have is um, you don't need to be doing that. You just need to live the life that you want to live. And I think that's, I was young when I realised that. I'm really young when I realised that. I, I don't have to have a fancy car. Like, I currently drive a smart car. And see when I'm driving past people and they're, like, looking at me, like, like, how do you fit in that car? But I love it. It's one of the best parties I've ever made. I don't have fancy things. Um, I don't need them. I just want to, as I say, wake up and be happy. That's That's my main goal in life. And that's why I find the UFC, to be happy, to make life that wee bit easier. I'm not chasing money. Uh, I'm chasing I'm chasing my legacy, I think. That's what I'm doing. And was it PE or, or sport that you taught, or was it something else? No, it was... Um, so, because I worked for an educational charity, um, we, predominantly I worked with ex-military servicemen um, who the whole ethos was, can we go into high schools and teach give kids in third and fourth year or even fifth and sixth year the skills that they're going to need when they leave school. When I say the skills, the reading and writing and arithmetic is like essential for any kid to leave, but by the by like first year when we go to high school, we should have already got that grasped. Um, and it's more the soft core skills, you know, like the dealing with adults, the way we speak to people, the communication, the teamwork, all these kind of soft core skills, which had been neglected for a long time in schools. That's what I worked on. So with stuff like we used to do the Duke of Edinburgh, and was very, very lucky enough to uh, work on a, a new project. It was Prince Williams or the Duke of Cambridge's award scheme. And I actually got to meet him as part of doing, doing this award scheme with my, my, my class groups was able to take uh, a three kids down to London. They got to go to Clarence House, got to shake hands with Prince William, who actually spent a fair bit of time speaking to the kids. It wasn't just a case of shaking hands and away he went. He was genuinely interested in the development of these kids. And then from that, I was very, very lucky enough to be to take a group of students to uh, Africa and Uganda and build wells, water tanks, build kitchens, do some missionary work. I'm lucky. I am very, very lucky. As I said to you, I went through doing a lot of jobs I disliked to get to do this kind of stuff. Getting to meet Prince William, um, go to Africa, see what 
see how other people live and appreciate everything I've got, which led, led me to the UFC and working hard. That's what all this, everything I've done just led me to working hard and, and, and wanting this lifestyle. We haven't, of course, during all this time, you're fighting at one level or another. We haven't, you spoke about not being a fighter, so to speak, when you were younger. So yeah. what was it that triggered that, the fighting in you and who introduced you to it? Um, so I'm about 22 maybe at this point. I'd never ever flung a punch. Well, if I had flung a punch, it was like, it was not textbook. My coach would watch it saying, this guy's never going to be a fighter. I was I was never interested in fighting. Fights did come my way. I'm six foot four and I have been fair. I was in like fourth year of high school. So I was very, very tall. Uh, any sort of fights, I was getting nailed. Um, not because uh, probably too much of a mouth on me but ultimately fights did come my way but I never ever won any fights I was probably uh, on negative record uh, when I was when I was before I got to the UFC it was probably 30 losses and 30 fights so I was about 22 and my friend had been telling me about this he'd been referring to it as the UFC chokes I had no idea what the UFC at this point was I'd never ever seen it Um I'd probably seen it passing on some sort of social media, two guys not one through each other. So he took me to this class, and it turns out I go into this small hall, which is matted. It's sweaty, it smells bad, and all the guys are half naked. Like for some reason, jujitsu guys love taking off their t shirt, they just love rolling about sweaty. And I'm looking about at these guys in this gym, and I'm thinking, this is weird. Like, this isn't the kind of sport I'd really. I don't want to do this. I played football, played rugby. I don't want to roll about the floor, half naked, sweaty with guys. So I got to meet Brian Gallagher. He showed us some moves. The first move I learned was a Kimura. And as soon as I nailed it, I was like, I had been bit with something. And I went, it used to only be a Monday and a Wednesday, and there was a Friday class, and I never ever missed one class because I always wanted to learn the next move because the person I was going with, Alex, he was going, the two were going at the same time, so we're each learning moves. And if I missed a session, he learned a new move that I couldn't, I didn't know how to defend because I missed that session. So I had this bug where I always had to learn to stay up and level with him. And from that, this was only jiu-jitsu. He was calling it UFC chokes, but it was Brazilian jiu-jitsu at this point. From that, I started then pointing out guys in the gym who I deemed were like, right, he's the guy I'm chasing after. I want to beat him. He's He's... He's the guy who's the man in the gym, and then from beating these guys and trying to, it started off maybe only getting a good role with them. They weren't able to tap me. We were having flow roles, and then going for that to try to tap them, and that's what inspired me to constantly do jujitsu. Started working boxing with uh, a professional boxer called Lawrence Murphy, who was the WBU Worldweight Champion, uh, and he showed me some stuff, and then from that, he inspired me again. Showed me something that I hadn't, I didn't know. I'd always watched Rocky as a kid. I'd always wanted to, you know, have a boxing match, all that kind of stuff. So he'd been working me with that. And then there was the merging of the two of them when my coach said, Do you fancy having a fight? It was like a six week camp, I think I had. Um, cut a bit of weight, didn't know what I was doing. Um, classic tap out shots, gum shield that was a boiling a bite. Um, I would. Right now, if I had to wear that, somebody would knock my teeth out. That's how bad this was. And I uh, went in and fought. 
and within about a minute, I think it was a minute and 24 seconds, I had flipped the guy and put him in an armbar. Didn't know any difference. And from that, that was my first fight. And I think I'd been maybe training for about a year. And then from that, it just kept, everything just kept bump, 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 bump. Was getting better at jiu-jitsu, going to competitions, constantly training, learning new skills, be it kickboxing or wrestling, adding more coaches into my life. And the next thing I'm fighting for, like top Scottish titles, and then going for that to fight for British titles, and then going for that to fight for European titles, and then leading me to places like Bama that were opening up doors for the UFC. I was unbeaten. I had never ever been out the first round. So everything I was doing was right. I got to the UFC, had done the exact same thing. Second round, first uh, second round submission. And then went to Vegas for my second fight in my UFC contract and just didn't have the mustard. Just didn't have the experience. Was very, very new. Was still had still a lot of development to do within the sport. And then for the last couple of years, that's what I've been doing, is developing within this sport. Every time you see me, you'll see a totally different fighter. And I think that's why I think that's why I'm dangerous because you can't be like, oh, Paul Craig's a grappler. Like we've shown in my last few fights, I'm a grappler. My back catalogue is all grappling. But now there's more and more striking getting added. There's more and more wrestling. I'm being more and more physical. My physique's changed. My attitude's changed. And that's why I'm. That's why I still love this sport because I'm still developing and I'm still hungry. The day I stop developing, the day I go into the gym and I don't want to learn, or I'm in and I'm not picking up the techniques, or I'm not wanting to pick up the techniques the same way as I am just now. Then I think that's the time for me to hang up my gloves. Because if the development's not happening, then I'm staying the same as everybody else. Then I've not got the love for the sport. Um, and right now, I'm, I'm massively in love with the sport. And I have been for the last, let's say, seven years of my life. MMA has been my life. Still in love with the sport. Still in love with the competitive side. Even though I say, as I say, it's it's one of the worst jobs I've had. But we don't have to love it. We don't have to love the job to love what we're doing. When you first sort of learned how to, to submit someone and force them to tap out, was it just that... Essentially, it meant you were better than them, at least at that point in time. Or was there something deeper about it that you could have that kind of control over someone else? You know, I think it's that, that uh, mental side. You know, as I said, when I was growing up, I wasn't, I wasn't, all through, all through school, I was the smallest. I wasn't big. It wasn't until I had four feet that I took a growth spurt. I also had a big brother, and I always took many a beating off him. And I, and I even credit him to this day from the development within my jiu-jitsu because I had to defend for getting beat up off him on the ground. He would just beat me up, as big brothers do. So I was always never the person who was beating people. You know, I was not a victim, if you will, but I wasn't I wasn't the man. I wasn't the captain of the football team, you know, flinging the, flinging the pass, scoring the penalty. I wasn't that type of guy. I never have been and I never will be. But I, I'm happy with that. Um, I don't mind saying I was a loser. That that's not. I don't see that as a negative word. But I was. Uh, I enjoyed my group of friends. I enjoyed who I was in high school, and I would never ever change it. Still one of the best times of my life going through high school. So I think when you get to the point where you're able to be imposing on somebody, I think that's what it was for me. Always trying to be better than that next person because I'd never ever been that guy in school. I'd never ever been that guy in sport. 
I was the guy who took part in sport. I was the guy who tried his best at any sport I do. I'll go in and give him a hundred percent. Be it as I said, rugby, gymnastics, anything at all. I will try my best. I will give it a hundred percent. You'll not get you'll not get ten percent off me any anything I do. So now I'm in a sport where I can use my attributes, my long limbs, and the knowledge I'm picking up to make somebody tell me they've had enough or to manhandle somebody. That that, that mental side of that, I, I believe, is what kept me in this sport, being better than somebody else when I've never been that my whole life. Mm. It's it's often a hard sport, jiu-jitsu, to, to sort of explain to fans or, or other people, and I think there's still probably some you know, scepticism about it. Even in the UFC, people often just want to see to see a stand up. But it's also incredibly underrated, I think, in terms of being able to do it and to be able to. I've never done it, but I can imagine trying to figure out how to to use your body and your attributes to to get people into a certain position. It must be incredibly satisfying. Yeah, I think see, you're saying there about the jiu-jitsu side and MMA, uh, mixed martial arts, and UFC. I think people are getting more and more knowledge because if you look at the dynamics of the sport from when it started in 95, 97, whenever, whenever UFC had started, when you look at the guys that were coming through and the guys that are coming through now, it's night and day. They're all round athletes. Going into the days, they've just been a fat guy who can swing a hammer and just knock somebody out. It's intricate. We're looking at Charles, Charles Oliveira the weekend and he got this armbar and it was beautiful. Now, going back 10 years ago, Everybody would have tapped for that, but now you're looking at guys like Tony Ferguson, who's able to manoeuvre his body. He's been in these positions a long, a, a lot, uh, in his career, and he knows how to manipulate his body, and he knows his where he can push his limits to. And I think people are appreciating the jiu-jitsu now because they're looking at that and they're like, "Wow, that's impressive! How did he not tap? How did his arm not break?" And then they're interested, and then you're looking at people who are like myself who are doing triangles. I remember after I triangled my Ankalaev, people were like. How, what, it doesn't happen that quick why didn't you just take it because it was 10 seconds to the end of the, the, the round but unless you've been in that position and unless you've got an understanding of how devastating jiu-jitsu can be when you shut off somebody's blood to their brain because that's ultimately what I'm doing I'm taking these two arteries stop the blood running to the brain and it's a blackout your body is in a survival mode and the survival mode is the tap and that's why at that point people are like, oh, I would have just passed out, I would have just done this, I would have been able to get out of that. Well, you probably wouldn't have, because we've seen that I've tried quite a lot of people, and it's a move where I know I can I can, I can nail it, and I'm and, and I'm and I'm pretty I'm pretty good at it. But now I find people are more interested in jiu-jitsu, and they're like, oh, well, we did this, he created this angle, by, able, by doing this, he relieved a wee bit of pressure here, was able to get out of it. And I think jiu-jitsu, they're, they're, they're appreciating it a lot more within the sport, uh, of UFC and and as a guy who does jiu-jitsu it, it's, it's good to to have it to have it appreciated you mentioned the idea of just you know not tapping and, and just passing out there was there's been some sort of some discussion in boxing recently about quitting and if uh you know, if a fighter takes a knee and then you know Daniel Dubois did it and someone mentioned well in the UFC tapping out is is regular you know that's what happens and nobody ever accuses a UFC fighter or an MMA fighter of quitting. Uh, do you see, is that 
a fair comparison, do you think? Is it that boxing just has to catch up with the idea that just because you can't go on anymore, you're not yeah, quitting? So, so I, I, I love boxing. Uh, and comparing both UFC and boxing or MMA and boxing, the two of them are two totally different sports. Now, looking at it from the outsides, MMA guys wear the smaller gloves and the boxers have got the bigger gloves. MMA can finish in so many ways, be it the submission, the uh, domination of somebody through ground and pound, making them the referee step in, technical knockouts, um, knockouts, there's so many ways it can end. Whereas boxing, there's only a handful of ways this can end. You're punching a person and like, they're either getting punched in the body or the head. A couple of times they get punched in the arms, but I don't think there's many fairs are coming out and saying, I'm just going to come out and I'm just going to try and punch this guy's arms until they get heavy and then I'm going to knock him out. But ultimately, we're looking at just hitting this one area, whereas UFC, it's, everything's open. So if you compare damage-wise, mental clarity for a boxer is going to be, he's getting punched in the head day in, day out, whereas we're not. We're, we're maybe ending fights through getting tapped, Maybe uh, we are getting knocked out or it's technical knockouts with it too much. And as you're saying about, like, fighters are designed to be brave. We're all designed to be brave. We're going into war. We need somebody in our corner to be smart. And my boxing coach says, says it best. is like, fighters are brave, corners smart. I think corners should take more of an onus on when the fighters had too much. This is somebody that works with a fighter day in, day out and knows how they are and knows if they're going to be able to rally and win. And I think they should step in and be like, right, my fighter's enough, I'm throwing the towel in, but it's not done enough. And as you're saying, this guy knew that he had too much and had to take a knee. And I think I think it's I think it's intelligent, intelligent uh it shows intelligence in this athlete. Whereas you've got guys that will go the next couple of rounds and, and that's where all the damage happens. That's where the the, the the brain's taking more damage than it actually needs in boxing. And I think that's why the safety aspect at MMA is through the roof. Having larger gloves means you're able to punch harder. You've got more protection in your wrist, more protection in your hands. So the punches that boxers deliver are going to be far greater than a punch that an MMA athlete's going to be delivering because you've got small gloves, hat, wrists aren't as wrapped as well, knuckles aren't protected. So they're going to have to place these shots. They're not going to be driving these shots home. Whereas a boxer is going to be putting absolutely everything into them. And I'm not saying that boxing is unsafe. I'm just saying comparing the two of them, night and day, MMA is ahead of the game when it comes to safety for the athletes. I'm sure it didn't always go your way in the gym. Do you remember the first time you had to tap out? Yep, I, I, I still have to tap out now. Um, I remember getting ready to go to... Where was I was going to? It was Philadelphia. And I, I had an amazing run. I hadn't been tapped for ages. had been surviving rounds with my coach. had been tapping my coach. had just been in an absolute... I was, I was, I was in cloud nine. I was, I was amazing. And uh, there was a young guy called Michael Blair. I shot in on him. Uh, and he caught me a guillotine. And literally, within a second, bump, out I went. Like, I didn't register that I was getting choked. But he he nailed this and because I hadn't been caught in a while in the gym I'm talking like probably three months uh, un, nobody was able to manhandle me and he just caught me and uh, even now I remember him tapping me and I've said to him uh, countless times I've got to, I've got to up my game when it comes to dealing with young Michael Blair um, even now it hurts to get tapped off somebody um, because I'm very competitive 
And if I'm getting tapped, I've made a mistake. And if if I take that and put it in a fight situation, a mistakes, mistakes in MMA and UFC are very expensive. It means you're tapping, uh, you're napping, or and you're not getting your 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 purse. You're not getting paid. So when it comes to it, I need to get paid to keep the dream going, basically. Um, so if I make a mistake in the gym, I get annoyed because I know I've made a mistake. And ultimately, it can lead to me getting a submission, getting subbed in the gym. And it goes the same when, it's when I'm in boxing. If I'm getting tagged and I'm doing the same thing and I'm getting tagged regularly with punches or kicks, I get annoyed because I know myself, I'm making mistakes. Mistakes in uh, MMA, which could be detrimental to me, are detrimental to my career. And you mentioned that you went, you're unbeaten as an amateur and then unbeaten for, for a long time as a pro. Would it be fair to suggest that you might have been both a beneficiary and a victim of the fact that maybe the competition in, in Scotland growing up or as you started wasn't particularly high so that obviously you were good, but you maybe weren't getting the grounding that you might then need later in your career? Yeah, for a long time, um, the people within the early days of MMA were predominantly one thing. Jiu-jitsu guys, boxers, wrestlers, or whatever else you thought, I'm a crack guy. And ultimately, jiu-jitsu wins everything. Because if I can get somebody down and they don't have that ground level of base, I can beat them. So if I'm up against a, a high-level boxer, that doesn't matter. right? I might take a few hits to get in, but ultimately, if my jiu-jitsu game is where I'm good, and we've seen it early days at UFC, where the Gracies were just getting in and, and devastating the opposition by submitting them. And this is... This is what I was doing. Um, so we had high-level kickboxers we were fighting against. We had high-level strikers, but they just couldn't deal with my, my jiu-jitsu. And that's what got me so far. So when I come up against somebody whose jiu-jitsu was either in par with mine or better, I couldn't I couldn't do the I couldn't get it. I couldn't I couldn't get the victories I needed. So we had to then rather than just being a jiu-jitsu fighter, we then had to level up as an athlete. And that meant leveling up physically, improving strength, improving, improving my striking, and learning new skills to add to my arsenal. That's all we were doing. And uh, I, I, look, I look down and I see that the level of MMA within Scotland and within the UK and Europe has just risen massively within the last 10 years. Like for when I started, there were some really good guys like up and coming. Nowadays, guys are OGs basically, and the level now has just increased massively. So you look at like we had Luke Barnett, or uh, Luke Barnett, who was in the Ultimate Fighter back then, UFC fighter. He was fighting at the weekend in ACA, and the level of opponents he's gone up against are, are, are night and day for what he was, what he previously fighting, and resulted in him getting a loss. And this, this is always going to happen if you're not developing. So I grew up watching Luke, and now he's he's now getting to the end of his career and now guys are using him to get to the next level of their career. I know nowadays you, you fight in the, in the biggest of venues, but I like to imagine that when you were an amateur early in your pro career, you must have fought in some not so salubrious surroundings. One of the, as you're saying that, <clears throat> I remember fighting in a showdown in must have been Coventry. And it was the last fight and I was meant to fight an up-and-coming fighter. His name was James Hurrell and this was like, James Hurrell was like, I want to say he was like 6'5", he was massive and he ended up pulling out the day of the event and I had to get somebody brought into him to fight the last minute and he ended up fighting a heavyweight. This guy was like this. 
And the first time I'd seen him was when I stood across the ring for him. And I looked at my coach and think, there's no way this guy's 205. It must have been about 235, 240. Massive. And um, I remember walking out and the cleaner was cleaning. He was brushing the floor as I was walking out for my fight. Everybody pretty much left, but I still had to have my fight. And this guy's cleaning up in this hall. It was so fun in crazy places. We fought in a place where uh, the guy who run the Venice was in Newcastle. He came in and he says, guys, you're going to have to wait. And we're like, why? And he's like, because there's a group of guys who didn't for you. And we're like, what? And they're like, the guy you beat, he's a, he's, he's a bit of a tough guy. And uh, all his pals are waiting on you outside. We'll find some crazy places. Um, but, it, but as you're saying, it's, it's what makes me, it what make, it's what made me. Um, fighting in all these shows, you can't do it. And now with the pandemic, it's, it's hard for fighters at the moment to get fights because nobody's putting on shows. Shows aren't getting put on because there's not any money to get made in the shows and people need to make money. So this year for up and coming stars has been it's been it's been really, really hard. So places like the UFC who are putting on regular shows and giving guys opportunities through Dana White's contender series. Like we've got guys who are early day pros getting opportunities to fight in these because people like Dana White are, are have got an invested interest in MMA and UFC. One thing I, you know, you said before that you don't particularly, or you didn't particularly enjoy Las Vegas, and I've never really thought about it because, as a fight fan, it's it's a great place to be when it's busy and there's a big fight on. But the things you mentioned, the things like you know, the casinos, people are smoking and everything else, it was interesting to, to hear that it wasn't your your favourite place. No, one of the worst places. One of the worst places I've fought. Um, it's called Sin City for a reason. There's so much to take your mind off what your game is. And you're like, oh, oh, oh look at this. I, I, I've never seen this before. Then you end up finding yourself gambling. Like, never been a gambler. Maybe had put a hand for your bets on. But then I found myself playing blackjack and un- not knowing the rules. And then going to the roulette table. And all you have to guess is red or black. Like, that's easy. I can do that 50-50. I like these odds. And um, there's just so much to get you caught up in. There's, um, yeah, Sin City, that's, and I just didn't like it. And I believed, superstition, loads of fighters have it, um, I believed there was this curse. I called it, there were two curses. I had the Vegas curse, because I lost my first fight in Vegas, and I had the, the UFC pay-per-view curse. I'd never fought a pay-per-view and I'd fought the very first time in 2009 and I get beaten in that and that happened to be in Vegas. So I had this curse. I, had, I was like, I can't fight in Vegas. I'm not fighting in Vegas. Got to fight Vegas to stay against Shogun Hua and broke two curses and broke the, the card curse and broke my, my Vegas curse. So I was over the minute. <laughs> when, I mean, I, I, I guess the UFC is, is still the pinnacle I would argue that other organisations are starting to maybe narrow the gap a bit, but when you were an early professional, was it a case of the UFC or bust, or did you think, you know what, if if I if I don't get there, I've given it a good go? Was there a point where you really thought, you know what, I've got I've got to be at the UFC and I'm good enough to be in the UFC? So when I first started the sport, I had never aspirations of fighting in the UFC. The aspirations were never there, and it wasn't until I my second fight in Bama. Um, as I said, I never had aspirations, I never had UFC, never had any other organisation. I never watched MMA, so I'd know, I couldn't say, oh, this company was better than this company. But 
the only one I'd ever seen was the UFC. I'd never ever watched any other other organisation because one, it wasn't televised. There was no way to get it. Whereas UFC was readily available for everybody. BT Sports were put on. Um, so it was easy enough to watch. And that was the first time I started watching MMA when I started doing the sport. And I was like, ah, this is all right. It's two guys not long to each other. So going from that to then getting the opportunity to fight in bigger shows, like, as I said, Bama, whereas I deemed it as being one of the biggest shows in Europe. And they were putting on some of the amazing events. They were televised. And then from that point, that's where I started to realise like, there is an opportunity for me to potentially get to uh, the UFC. And that was that was my goals were setting them. And that's where I wanted to fight and nobody was ever going to stop me from getting there. And even now, it's UFC or bust for me. Like, if the UFC said to me, like, i seen there was 60 fighters released for contracts. If the UFC said to me, listen, Paul, it's not working out. We're, we're going to release you for your contract. Then at that point, my, I'm not going to fight for anything less than the best. I've said this before. I don't see the point of taking damage from other organised for other organisations who are not the best for for nobody. Like money isn't my driving force. I said this to you. It's not. I don't wake up and be like, right, how much money can I make today? Right, if I put my money in here, I can make more. Like. I'm not interested, I just want to have a legacy and I'm not going to have my legacy tarnished by having brain damage or by having people who are not true to the sport using me. So for me, it's UFC or bust and it always will be. So come the day when the UFC have had enough of me, then I'll, that'll be my fine career over. There's a lot of talk at the moment about concussion in well, in non-contact, in non-contact sports. Yeah, non-contact of course, sports. it will always be a, a point of... There'll always be people who... who bring it up when we talk about uh, mixed martial arts. But do you, are you concerned about it or do you feel like you, if you ever start thinking about it too much, then you'll never be able to give your all? So we've seen this in sports like rugby where guys are taking hits and they're ending up with concussions. We've seen it in football where people are jumping up and head on the ball and they're playing, putting this down as one of the, like the, the, the constant damage to the brain. And I, I find like, if I genuinely believed that I was going to get any sort of long-term effect, be it brain damage or Alzheimer's, then I would have a negative effect on fighting. So I tend not to think about it too much, but see, because MMA ends, there's loads of ways to end it. There's loads of ways the fights can be ended. And when we're in the gym, we make it safe by wearing head guards, by using larger gloves, not so we can punch harder, but so there's more coverage, so that there's less damage done. And by focusing more on jiu-jitsu and all these kind of areas, I think that's what helps alleviate this in my mind anyway. Um, I think it's an I think there's a a risk reward situation, and that's what I'm saying. Like risk reward for me doing this in my local town hall. There's there's a high risk with no reward in that for me. Me doing it in the UFC and fighting the top in my game, fighting in the top 10 of the world rankings, there's a massive risk to that, but the rewards far out, far outweigh the, the risks in my eyes. Um, I love the competitive side of it. I, I just love the sport. So for me, the, the risk reward at the moment is, 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 is not there. The, there's no risk. The rewards always do too much. You mentioned you beat Shogun Rua, that was your rematch. The first time you've won back-to-back fights in the UFC. So, you know, you mentioned the fighters who have been released 
it would presumably be a huge surprise if you were one of them. So when, in that case, what does 2021 look like for you? 2021, I believe that we will get a nice favourable top 10 fight. Um, I'd love to fight Anthony Smith. He called me out his last fight. Um, I hadn't set my eyes on Anthony Smith. I deemed that he was too far up the rankings for me to get a fight with him. But after his fight against Jamal Hill, no, was it, was it Jamal Hill? No, it wasn't Jamal Hill. It was... Who's he fighting? Oh, uh, the wrestler. Uh, down... No. Anyway, he was fighting the wrestler. And he called me out after it. The nicest call you're ever going to hear in your life. It was like, I think it'd be an interesting fight between me and Paul. This is a good opportunity. And I was like, this is a fight I've wanted for years. I've seen him making his way up the rankings and putting on some performances. And the only way to get... The only way to get better is to have that bit of fear, that bit of fear that gets you up in the morning, that bit of fear that makes you run that extra two mile, that bit of fear that makes you add in an extra 10 kilograms onto the barbell so you can push even harder, that bit of fear that makes you increase your punching power and punching speed because the fear is there. And that's the fight I would love. Um, but if guys like Johnny Walker uh, are, are, are interested, I, I would take that fight. There's... For a long time, I fought guys, before I was in the top 15, I fought guys who were up and coming, and I was getting not used, it's, it's wrong to say used, because it's my job. I was fighting undefeated guys who were coming straight off the Dana White's contender season, who were dangerous, and we had, like, uh, Alonzo Manifield, we had uh, unbeaten Jim Crute, unbeaten uh, the Russian Majimegov Ankalaev, and I was getting, I was like, who's Paul fighting next? Oh, he's fighting an unbeaten guy. And I've done that. I, I, my next fights, I want to be these guys in the top 10. Um, and I believe I'm able to hang with them. I believe my skill set matches up very, very hard for everybody in the top 10 division. My jiu-jitsu is what, what got me to the party, and it's what's going to keep me in the party. Um, so right now, if you ask me, Paul, when you want to fight, I'll be like, right, I'm ready to go anytime between February onwards and if you've got a fight for me in January then I'll take it and finally given you you know hopefully you've got plenty of fighting time left of course but given your background it feels like coaching eventually is, is the natural thing to do or would it be you know what that's my fighting chapter of my life done and there's something else I, I, I think I'm in the mindset of once the game's over the game's over you don't get to live your life through somebody else I don't get to I don't think it's in my nature to sit in the sidelines and watch somebody doing that. Like, I, I, I find this annoying when I go to coach my teammates and I'm and I'm screaming at them to do something like, maybe turn the corner or create a frame and, and they're not doing it and, I, and that frustrates me. So, I don't think it's going to be the coaching side of it. I think it's going to be possibly just walking away into the sunset. That's what I think it is. Well, unless you're walking away in Scotland, then it might be. Uh, no, you know, no, 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 no. Walking away in a wee bit of sleet in it. Exactly. Paul, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for your time, and hopefully, oh, we do see you in the fights you want next year. Can't wait to see uh, the, the, the development of the, the podcast, man. Keep it keep up the good work.